This is how you know that Stevie Wonder is uh, is a musical genius. Doesn't matter what the occasion is. Doesn't matter what the occasion is. Stevie's got a track for you. That's how you know he's the coldest to ever do it. Love, love, love. Me some Stephen and Morris. Stevie Wonder is a bad boy. Love you, Stevie. Uh, in this hour, you listen to Tavish Smiley, by the way. Uh, and in this hour, on the night of July 7, 2016, a gunman killed five police officers in downtown Dallas. You might recall that national, international news live on every channel. I remember it well, July 7, 2016, 7-7-2016. So these officers are gunned down, killed in downtown Dallas. Our next guest, our guest in this hour, uh, was the surgeon on duty that night and who happened to work on three of those officers. His name is Dr. Brian Williams. He's written a text on that experience called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. I'm delighted to have him on in this hour to talk about cops and racism and gun violence. Dr. Brian Williams, good to have you on, sir. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Tavis. Thank you for having me today. It's my great delight to have you on. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the text. Thank you for um, this conversation. Um, let me just start um, broadly um, with uh, this question. Uh, Parkland Hospital, where you were that night, has its own history. And for those who recognize the name, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But since you worked there, why don't you uh, why don't you share the history of this uh, this uh, noted hospital in in Dallas? Yeah, Parkland Hospital, it's an, it's an iconic hospital in American history. Most notably, that is where uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. was taken. I'm sorry, John F. JFK, President JFK was taken after mm-hmm. he was shot uh, by Lee Harvey Oswald. So uh, he, he died there. Lee Harvey Oswald also died there when he was shot by Jack Ruby. So it, it has this iconic history, you know, intersecting with events in uh, the history of the country. But uh, more importantly, it's the reason I moved to Dallas in the first place. It is a safety net hospital that provides care to the underserved, those who can't afford insurance, can't afford a doctor. Uh, that is the reason for being. I wanted to work in a hospital that had that sort of mission in the community. Yeah. It may very well be the most famous hospital in the country. There have been uh, movies done about it and documentaries done about it, books written about it. Um, what's it like uh, working at Parkland, particularly as an African-American? What's it like working in a place that iconic? Well, again, it was, it was the reason I came to Dallas. I, I, I knew I'd be dealing with patients that were, you know, low-income patients, uh, predominantly racial ethnic minorities, and I, I felt just as a black doctor, I wanted to be in that sort of community. I wanted to give back to the community uh, with with my with my skills and training. Uh, but also, I was also the only black trauma surgeon of the group of twelve. So there is this. You know, you're navigating this world as a professional where you're the only person you see in your day-to-day work, but the patients you are caring for frequently look like you. Yeah. Uh, and I felt an obligation and uh, to, to be the best I could to open the door for those coming up behind me, but also be a good doctor uh, for the patients who are coming to me for care. Yep. We'll get to that night here in just a moment. I'm glad we've got an hour to just work our way into that. But let me let me just ask. Um, I know how it happens, and the answer to how is a whole lot of work, a lot of hard work. I get that part. Uh, but I'm curious as to your backstory. Why does one, uh, why does a black male uh, named Brian Williams choose to be a trauma surgeon? Because you're right, not a whole lot of y'all. Uh, why, why that path for Brian Williams? 
Yeah, I tell people that I didn't choose trauma surgery. Trauma surgery chose me. I, w- I was drawn into this specialty as a medical student when I first had a chance to take call with the trauma team when I was in medical school in, in Tampa, at Tampa General Hospital. Uh, just seeing the team go to work to save a gunshot victim. Uh, these are my people. I like the fast pace, the adrenaline. Um, but you know, my prior career, uh, I was an aeronautical engineer. So I served in the Air Force as an engineer with no plans to go into medicine. Uh, that was a transition I made later in my career, and I felt this was kind of continuation of my record of service as mm-hmm. a veteran than as a doctor. Uh, but I like being pulled in different directions all the time, and trauma surgery was the sort of specialty that really played to my interests and strengths. Got one or two more questions about that, and then we'll we'll get uh, get straight to the night of July seventh, twenty sixteen. So let me ask two more questions on that, and we'll move to this uh, fateful night in Dallas. You're listening, to Dr. Brian Williams, on Tavis Smiley. Unapologetically progressive. progressive, unapologetically black. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory, expand of, ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. I'm Tavis Smiley. Uh, he is Dr. Brian Williams. He's our guest, and this hour he's a surgeon. Has written a powerful book called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. He was the surgeon uh, on duty at Parkland Hospital, the same hospital where JFK was taken when he was shot in Dallas. Uh, he was on duty that night when uh, these uh, five officers uh, were shot uh, and killed in downtown Dallas. Uh, and uh, he's written a book about that night, uh, about that experience, and a great deal more. I'm pleased to have uh, this uh, black physician, uh, trauma surgeon Dr. Brian Williams, on our program in this hour. We were talking moments ago, Dr. Williams, about uh, your being a, tra- a trauma surgeon. I want to just probe that uh, just a bit further, and then we'll move to um, July 7, 2016. Um, I-, I get the sense from what you said a few moments ago that there there must be something um, joyful uh, that's my word. You can put it, you put it in your own words, of course. Must be something joyful, though, about being a trauma surgeon uh, and saving lives. I mean, writ large, the medical profession is about is about good health and about saving lives. But when you are a trauma surgeon, uh, you see the results of your work pretty immediately. You see uh, in real time the lives that you are saving. That must that must that must account for something. Absolutely, I think being a trauma surgeon is it's the best specialty in medicine. Of course, I'm biased, but that's what I believe. We talked earlier about just the the actual work of being a trauma surgeon and taking care of patients that are coming in near death, going to the OR. But there's the other part, the, the human side of this, where we get to comfort patients and families on some of the most traumatic days of their lives. Right? You don't wake up expecting to get into a car accident and have a traumatic brain injury or be a victim of a gunshot, gunshot or get hurt at work. We are there to hold your hand and say, look, it's it's bad right now but we're going to get through this. So I I enjoy that part as well, just being there for strangers on some of their worst days. And I also get to teach. I teach students and residents and fellows. You get to to be a part of the next generation of healers. That's all very gratifying to me, and that's the joy of this specialty, which deals with a lot of death and uh, destruction. The flip side, uh, you just teed it up, and I want to go there right quick. The flip side of saving lives and the joy and the, uh, the, the gratitude, the gratifying nature of that, um, is when you lose a patient uh, that you are operating on uh, in a trauma situation. Um, how do you process that? How do you process losing persons on that table? Um, how do you not take that home with you? Just give me the other side. 
that we have to be very intentional about maintaining our shared humanity with these patients who are injured, especially the ones that die. Uh, they come in, they don't get to choose who their doctor will be. So we get, we are taking care of all types mm-hmm. of, of people from all different backgrounds. And our job is to heal, uh, not judge. And I want to ensure that I'm always in touch with that part of my humanity that feels something for the death of my patients. And I talk about this in the book, that after the death of those police officers, how I carried around the guilt of those losses for years. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a transformative event for me about how I wanted to be part of the healing our community going, yeah. going forward. Say a word finally, if you will, and then we'll move on straight to July 7th. But a final word, if you will, about what you've learned about um, good bedside manner. And let me tell you why, about why I ask that. There's so many folk listening to this program right now, no doubt, who know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all been through it uh, as people of color, certainly as African-Americans. Uh, you have a doctor, uh, and not, it's not just the medical profession, but in many professions, you you, you deal with this uh, lack of uh, uh, core competency when it comes to how to treat people. Uh, but certainly in the field of medicine, uh, because there are a lot more white doctors than black doctors, we find ourselves... Um, in situations with doctors who just don't have good bedside manner. They, they don't know how to talk to or treat people who look differently from them. Um, here you are, a, a black physician, uh, a black trauma surgeon, and oftentimes saving the lives of black people, and to your point, many, many others. Uh, but what would you say to your profession writ large, uh, uh, particularly in, in crisis moments, uh, about uh, how to uh, properly, uh, how to lovingly, uh, treat their patients who happen not to look like them. Since you talked earlier about your humanity being in concert with the humanity, in alignment with the humanity of your patient, that line kind of jumped out at me. This is a great thing about being in academic medicine, as I've been in my entire career, is that we get to, to be really critical of how we do our job, and we recognize and have to accept that racism is inherent within the healthcare system. It impacts how we treat our patients and patient outcomes, how we train our future uh, future doctors, and how we treat our, our colleagues. And you know, it's in the subtitle of my book. I, racism was was a key theme I wanted to address, mm-hmm. and we just have to ex- accept and acknowledge the role that healthcare has played in creating the uh, racial disparities that we have in healthcare that exist today. And until we acknowledge that, and you know. Peel, you know, rip off that Band-Aid and start talking about that openly and teaching it to our trainees, then that is when we can actually be making a path towards making sure that our patients are treated with humanity and get the best outcomes and that all that are in medicine feel accepted and valued for the, that, what, they can, what they can provide to the profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book I've it- talked about my incidents as being, you know, you alluded to this, I've been called racial slurs by my mm-hmm. patients. Mm-hmm. I've been instructed to take out the trash by my patients, clean their caffeine tray of food. Uh, and it's happened at every stage of my career, from being a student to being attending atop of the hierarchy. It, it is there, but we go to work every day because it's important for us to be present for our patients. Yeah, well, 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 good luck. Good luck if Tavis Smiley is your trauma surgeon and you call me a racial epithet. Good luck to you. I'm, I'm going to leave you in the hands of a, of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, of a gracious God. At least I hope so in that moment for you. You call me a racial epithet while you're on the table and I'm trying to save your life. You're going to be on your own, but you, you're a better man than I am. And that's why you're the trauma surgeon. And I'm just a lowly talk show host because, yeah, they'd be, they'd be dead if, if I had anything to do about it. You call me out of my name uh, and I'm trying to save your life. But I digress on that point.
Uh, the book is called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatch. It's from a black trauma surgeon on racism, violence, and how we heal. The book uh, comes out of this night, 7-7-2016, uh, when a gunman kills five uh, cops in downtown Dallas. Dr. Brian Williams, our guest, is on call uh, that night. He's on duty that night when these officers are rushed into Parkland Hospital. Uh, with that set up, Dr. Williams, take me back to 7-7-2016 and tell me all about it. So 2016, seven summers ago, this is a night that is, I still think about every day to this day. It's always in the, in the background. And that night was initially my night off. Uh, one of my partners asked me if I could switch shifts with him. So I took his shift, uh, unaware about what was about to happen in the city and uh, around the country. Uh, but just a little bit of setup before we call, talk about the mass shooting of the police officers. Sure. There were protests all across the country um, in the days following the death of Philando Castile in Minnesota mm -hmm. and also in Sterling in Louisiana. So this mm -hmm. was kind of set up to July 7th. Mm -hmm. And there were protests all around the country, but the one in Dallas turned violent. There was a black sniper, Army veteran, who was there targeting white Dallas police officers. Not all were white, but he said he wanted to kill white police officers. Mm -hmm. uh, Fourteen were shot. Seven were brought to the hospital where I was working and three of the ones that came to our hospital uh, died from their wounds. And there's, there's a moment that I did something I've done way too many times, which is I had to change out of my bloody scrubs, put on clean scrubs, button up my white coat, and walk into a room and talk to uh, family members to tell them about the death of the loved ones due to gun violence. And it was after that moment I went to a quiet corner of the hallway and done something I've not done in decades. And, I fell to the floor and I was crying convulsively, Tavis, like convulsive crying. Mm. Uh, it was a moment that all this was just kind of bubbling within me and it kind of broke out. And from that moment on, I realized what am I doing here in the hospital is not enough. This violence is still going to continue. This issues of racism and policing and healthcare crisis. There's only so much I can do in the hospital. What am I going to do now going forward? And that was kind of the launching point for the book. Mm -hmm. So um, let me ask you expressly about that night. And I want to ask some some philosophical questions about what it means to be caught in the middle. Because here, by caught in the middle, here's what I mean. You are a, a physician, but you were black before you ever became a trauma surgeon. Uh, right. And we are seeing the deaths of these black men, Philando Castillo. That death can still not, will never be justifiable. What they did to him, Benton Alton Sterling, none of this stuff is justifiable. So as a black man, I know you have to resonate with that. Um, on the other hand, um, you're, a, you're, you're, you're a professional. And so you got these cops who are being brought into you whose lives you're trying to save. So here you are caught between the brothers who are being killed oftentimes by these cops and the cops whose lives you have to save. If that ain't a conundrum, I don't know what is. We'll come to that, put a pin in that. We'll come to that in just a second. Before I get to that conundrum, though, um, just tell me more about what you recall about that night, what you write about that night when these cops start being rushed into your hospital, Parkland. In the moment, I just fell back on my training. It was all these larger societal issues were irrelevant during that time. It's I have multiple gunshot victims coming in. I'm a trauma surgeon. The team is here. We're going to, we're going to go to work and do what we can to save these police officers. It's, you know, it's afterwards and particularly in the, the press conference a few days later where the issues you mentioned, uh, what I was grappling with, because it, you can hold all these things as true, right? Mm -hmm. You can say that these killings, 
by of black men by police were unjustified and you need to do something about that. You can also be a trauma surgeon who wants to save the lives of police officers who were killed or injured due to gun violence. Those things can be true. I was holding those both true, but there was an expectation from many that I had to take sides in that uh, in that debate. And during the press conference a few days later, that's what I was struggling with as I heard what was being said because it did not sit well with me. Should I say something or should I keep my mouth shut? And eventually I said something and that changed everything. We have some audio of, of that press conference that day when we come forward um, in, in a few moments. We'll, we'll give the audience a taste of uh, what you said on that particular day. Um, since you make reference to it now, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later here. Um, but tell me more uh, right now about that dilemma, um, you, that dichotomy, you, you, you choose your own word, of, of, of being a black man who has been called racial epithets by his patients. They've asked you to take out the trash. They've asked you to clean their trays, all the stuff you said earlier. So you've been subjected to this. Uh, fortunately for you, you didn't lose your life, um, but uh, so many other brothers and sisters have. So on the one hand, on the one hand, that's going through your mind. You know exactly what's, what's, what's brought this about, these protests in Dallas. You know exactly what that's all about on the one hand. On the other hand, again, your, your job is to be uh, is a, is a professional. Uh, as a trauma surgeon, it's to save the lives of anyone brought to you. It happens this night that there are a bunch of cops that are, that are, that are brought to you. I, I can't imagine in that moment that you have time to process all this. To your earlier point, days later, you start to go through it. And at one point, you find yourself just breaking down um, and, and crying, as you said, just uh, 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 without without ceasing, as it were, in, in that particular moment. But t- tell me more about about that dilemma that one finds oneself in, uh, given the role that you played that night. Yeah, For, for me, I, I'd done a lot to assimilate <laughs> and to in, ensure my success, right? I, I didn't want to be that person. Uh, bringing up race and racism all the time. I just, I just wanted to go to work, take care of my patients, teach some trainees, and avoid any controversy. But with all this happening around me, it, it became impossible for me to remain silent as I had been in the past. Mm-hmm. And it all, it all came to bear at that press conference, which initially I did not want to attend. It was yeah. my wife who said, you have to go to this press conference. And as I'm sitting there, I'm having this internal debate about this is the time to say this because there are so many people who will never have the opportunity to have a platform like this to express all these issues that we're we're talking about throughout the year. And also remember, that was a year that we had the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub about a month before. Sure. Uh, That was an election year between Trump and Clinton. It was was just a crazy year of of a lot of stuff. So that was kind of all building up in the background as well. So I found myself as the the sole black trauma surgeon who was there trying to save the lives of of police officers who were shot by a a black sniper at a racial justice protest in the days after Flannery Castillo and Alton Sterling. You know, all these things are adding up. And it's to me, it's like, okay, Brian, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to do now? Here's some sounds. And that was the dilemma. Speaking yeah. of what the, what what are you going to do now? And that dilemma that he just referenced here is some sound now from Dr. Brian Williams as the only black trauma surgeon at that press conference um, some days later. I stand with the Dallas Police Department. I stand with law enforcement all over this country. This experience has been very personal for me, and a turning point in my life. There was the added dynamic of officers being shot. 
we routinely care for multiple gunshot victims. But the preceding days of more black men dying at the hands of police officers affected me. But I abhor what has been done to these officers and agree with their families. I understand the anger and the frustration and distrust of law enforcement, but they are not the problem. The problem is the lack of open discussions about the impact of race relations in this country. And I want the Dallas police to also see me, a black man, and understand that I support you, I will defend you, and I will care for you. That doesn't mean that I do not fear you. Mm. It does not mean that I do not fear you. Dr. Brian Williams is our guest. His book is called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal More When We Come Forward on Tavis Smiley. This is getting good. Tavis Smiley continues when we come forward. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. The conversation does indeed continue. Dr. Brian Williams, author of the book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. We played moments ago uh, some powerful words from him at that press conference a few days after this uh, um, shootout in downtown Dallas. Um, five officers killed on July 7, 2016. Uh, days later, uh, you heard him participate in this press conference and you heard what he had to say. We'll get right back to that in just a moment, but there's some breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Uh, we discussed this in our first hour today, and uh, just like that, uh, Republicans have in fact selected the person they want to be the new Speaker of the House. His name is Steve Scalise. He is presently the majority leader in the House. Uh, but they've chosen him to be the new speaker. We are told in about an hour or so they expect to have a floor vote uh, uh, on his nomination. But by a vote of 113 to 99 during a closed or party meeting, Steve Scalise uh, turns back a challenge from Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio. That's the one you heard Maxine Waters on this program days ago called crazy. She said, Tavis, he's just stone cold crazy. Uh, and so they turned back Jim Jordan. He's an insurrectionist sympathizer. That's who could have been the speaker. Uh, but the person they've chosen, Steve Scalise, as I mentioned in our first hour today, um, uh, has said that he is David Duke without the baggage. Those are his words. This is the frame that we are in. The new speaker, potentially, we'll see how the vote goes down in an hour or so from now. Uh, but the new speaker of the House could be one who has bragged publicly about being David Duke, the white supremacist leader, without the baggage. That's who could be the next speaker of your U.S. House of Representatives. So Jim Jordan loses uh, in a closed-door vote to Steve Scalise of Louisiana. Uh, he is uh, on tap to be the next speaker if he can survive this vote. Uh, an hour or so from now, we are told, but that's the breaking news, the latest news on who will replace Kevin McCarthy. Matt Getz. Uh, speaking of crazy, the congressman out of Florida who led the fight um, to get rid of his uh, his Republican colleague, Kevin McCarthy, uh, said, and I quote, long live Speaker Scalise on his way out of the conference room. He chanted that out loud. Long live Speaker Scalise. So Matt Getz, and you know all his backstory, 
uh, is supporting Steve Scalise, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, but Louisiana, Louisiana's uh, Steve Scalise. You may also recall this is the same congressman years ago who got shot at a um, at a at a at a softball game. So he has a storied uh, storied past. Uh, he recovered from that um, shot at this uh, softball game some years ago, as I recall. Uh, but uh, again, has bragged publicly about being David Duke without the baggage. That is the person who, uh, uh, if uh, this vote goes in his favor uh, this afternoon, uh, will be the next person to hoist the gavel as Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Our democracy is in trouble when the Speaker has bragged about being. Uh, anyway, you take my point. I digress. Uh, there's the news. Uh, of course, we'll continue to cover that uh, here uh, on this program uh, as uh, as uh, updates warrant it. But that's what I know at this moment. Uh, now back to Dr. Brian Williams. Again, our guest in this hour, his book uh, is called The Bodies Keep Coming. Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence and How We Heal. Sorry I had to get that in there, Dr. Williams, but that's breaking news. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's a strange segue back to what you were saying moments ago on this tape. At this press conference days after this shooting and killing of five cops on July 7, 2016. So as I listened to that tape and I, I recall hearing you um, the day you, you, you did this uh, back in 2016, the day you participated as the only black trauma surgeon in that press conference. I remember it well. But when I heard it again uh, yesterday, uh, prepping for our conversation today, um, it reminded me that as eloquent as you were, I didn't see that last line coming. You set that thing up brilliantly. And you got to the very end, excuse me, you said, but that does not mean that I do not fear you. Um, take me back to that moment and how that sort of played out in your head and what came out of your mouth in that microphone in that moment. Uh, absolutely, Tavis. And I just want to comment on your breaking news. Is You may not know this, but I'm actually a candidate for U.S. Congress mm-hmm. here in Dallas. I was getting and to I'm that. And I'm wanting to yeah. defend democracy from just that sort of thing you just discussed. But mm-hmm. back to that day in July, uh, those comments were unplanned. Uh, I actually had no speaking part that day, and I'm still not sure how the mic ended up in front of me and I was asked the question. But that was just a stream of consciousness that was coming out of my mouth in that moment, and it was from the heart. This, I was saying what I felt, what I experienced, and I just put it out there, uh, not thinking much about the consequences. I, I assumed that once I did that, made the statement, I would be fired from my job uh, because my job that day was not to talk about racism and police brutality and gun violence and all those sorts of things, but to represent the hospital. Um, but the words resonated. That, that, that clip is still played you know, years later, and people talk about my press conference. And I have to remind them, it wasn't my press conference. It was a 45-minute press conference with seven people speaking. But for some reason, those two minutes are what resonated. And I think it's because... Those issues were salient at the time, mm-hmm. and nobody was talking about it. And I kind of brought it to bear during a live press conference. So you did not lose your job. The hospital did not fire you. But what was the fallout? What were the consequences and repercussions of saying uh, at the end of that comment, at the end of your your, your commentary, uh, your, your 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 thoughts that day? That does not mean that I don't fear you. What were the repercussions? Well, I felt immediate relief. When I said that, there was a weight lifted, the mask was off, and after that, all of my relationships changed. Some for the better, some you know, some ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, personal, professional, friends, strangers. Um, you know, I would say about 85, 90% of that was positive response, but there was about 10% that was 
really vitriolic and uh, condemned what I said, condemned me as a as a doctor who should not be allowed to care for police officers or white people. I had black people telling me they were glad to let the cops die. Uh, there were things that were said mm. to me, to my face, or sent to me in letters that uh, just really, truly shocked me because I really was just there. I was just, I'm here to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. How could you think I would want to allow someone to die? Anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the words and the statement uh, really changed how I interacted with a lot of people that were close to me and with whom I worked. And, you know, I, I feel that now I'm going to, you know, it, it's closed my social circle. The people that I knew were with me yeah. are still with me, and those that weren't are no, are no longer with me. How did you respond? I'm pushing uh, toward um, your run for Congress. I, I, I was absolutely aware of that, and it was on my docket. Uh, it is on my docket. We'll get to that later in this hour before I lose you at the top of the hour. But let me ask you right quick, watching my time here. Um, how did you respond to those persons who heard you say, that does not mean I don't fear you? Uh, when persons ask you how you could, how you could uh, admit uh, to being uh, fearful of certain cops and yet operate with 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 gifted hands, if I can put it that way, to save or at least attempt to save their lives. There's something that that people could read as being off there. So I'm afraid of you, but I'm willing to save your life. I, like, how do you square how, how do you square those two things? I, I think that those of us that are in medicine and do trauma understand how I can say that because we we are trained to save lives and and I think they get it. Those that are not in this profession, I can understand why there is some confusion about that. I did have police officers who came to me afterwards and said, you know what? I never thought about that until you said that, Mm -hmm. that if I pull someone like you over, that you would feel that way. I said, well, you know me, Mm -hmm. you you know me as this doctor you see every day in the hospital, but out there, Nobody knows that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it opened up some eyes in that regard. And um, I had many people tell me that it opened up conversations within their families about violence and racism. Uh, and I received letters and cards and gifts from people all over the world. Mm-hmm. It was just boxes would just show up to Dallas. There said, Dr. Brian Williams, Dallas, Texas, yeah. and they got to me. <laughs> so say what you want about the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah. They can get it done when they need to. <laughs> when they need to, yeah. No, I'm, I'm laughing because, and this ain't funny, uh, but uh, I, I, I take your point that when the cops pull you over, you ain't no black trauma surgeon. Uh, you, you're not at this famous hospital called Parkland. You're just another another Negro in a car. And at that point, anything could happen. So I take your point about being fearful because they don't know anything about your backstory. They don't know anything about the, the cops' lives you, you have tried to save or have, in fact, saved. They know none of that. They just see a black man in a car. You get put over. You know, different than all the rest of us. I digress. When we come forward, uh, a bit more about this book, The Bodies Keep Coming, and we'll talk about his, his run for Congress, given this breaking news we just shared about Steve Scalise being the nominee for the Republican caucus to be the next Speaker of the House. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. What? Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Brian Williams, um, author of the new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on racism, violence, and how we heal. I was thinking, uh, Dr. Williams, uh, during that break, uh, whether or not I can recall, and I could be wrong about this, I'm trying to think of whether or not there's ever been a black male physician elected to Congress. I can think of a few white 
male physicians who've been in Congress. I don't know that I can think of a black male physician whoever ran for and was elected to Congress. You may know the answer to that question better than I do, but I say all that to ask, after all that you have done uh, in, the, in the Air Force and all that you've done as a physician, a first, first an engineer and uh, a trauma surgeon, and now you decide to run for Congress uh, in the Dallas area, tell me about why you're running and tell me a bit about the campaign. Uh, I'm running because the country's in a crisis, and as an Air Force veteran, I've always answered the call during times of crisis. We have an epidemic of gun violence, we have a health care crisis, racial justice, and I feel that I have the leadership skills that are needed during this time. Now, you're correct. There's never been a black male doctor in Congress. There's only been one black doctor elected to Congress, uh, Dr. Christensen, but she's from the U.S. Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. so she could not actually vote. Mm-hmm. So if elected, I'd be the first black doctor who could vote in Congress. And in 2023, that's absurd. We haven't had any more black doctors but we need more doctors, period. There's only 19 doctors in Congress. So we need more of us at, at the table uh, working on these issues. But I've also been, I've worked in, in Congress as an advisor. I've had the chance to work on monumental federal legislation. So that process is something I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are a formidable campaign right now. You asked about the campaign. We are a front runner. We have outraised all of our uh, competitors in this race as far as fundraising. I've been endorsed by several organizations that support veterans, doctors, uh, and uh, uh, the team is growing. It's getting getting stronger. We're getting a lot of attention. So I just go check out drbrianwilliamsforcongress.com to support our team and join our campaign. Tell me about your district. Uh, Let let me do this. Let me me hold that question for a second. When we come forward, I want to ask you about your, about the, not the campaign. You you talked about that, uh, about the district. I I know, I I know Dallas fairly well. I'm just curious as to the district you're running in. uh, And uh, we'll get a bit more about that. Uh, Dr. Brian Williams could be Congressman, uh, Dr. Brian Williams, uh, if elected. We'll talk more about that when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, Tavis, Tavis Smiley, ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Hey, Dad. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Dr. Brian Williams, tell me more about this uh, district you're running in. So it's District 32, which is here in Dallas, and Colin Allred, who's a name you may know, is running for Senate against Ted Cruz. So mm-hmm. this is an open seat. Uh, it's, it's drawn for a Democrat. I'm running as a Democrat in, in this district. And uh, uh, right now, doing very well in the campaign, uh, front runner, raising the, raising the funds, getting out there meeting the voters, mm-hmm. and selected. I'd be the first trauma surgeon elected to Congress. I'd be the first black doctor with voting privileges in, in Congress. Uh, but more importantly, I'm taking this uh, ethos I've learned as a veteran, an Air Force Academy graduate, about service before self, mm-hmm. which I heard that phrase in one of your earlier commercials. It's about taking my long record of service to this country to my community and the time I already spent in Washington and extending that to work on these issues that are impacting the country right now that I have frontline experience dealing with. Democrats, as you know, are pretty rare in Texas, <laughs> uh, certainly in, in Congress. Uh, there, there are a few, of course, that come to mind. Uh, but, but but what is it like these days politically uh, being a black male Democrat trying to trying to gain some traction in a race in Texas of all places? Well, I tell you, in, in, in this district, when Texas redrew the lines, this district was drawn for a Democrat. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of at home right here in the district where I'm running for the issues that I'm talking about because they resonate with voters. Right. Uh, gun violence prevention, the, the health care crisis, 
uh, defending democracy. So, and also as a veteran, I think people recognize that we as veterans have a special relationship with what it means to be an American, what it means to serve this country. And when, especially with black veterans, you know, we keep showing up to ensure that America continues to make progress towards manifesting the ideals professed in the Constitution. So that is a sort of ethos and leadership mm-hmm. I intend to take to Congress. And um, I'd like to say I invite people to learn more about the campaign at drbrianwilliamsforcongress.com. My father is a veteran, served 37 years in the Air Force, so I, I, I know a bit about the, the life you've lived, having grown up in that for uh, my entire uh, formative years. Uh, and, and yet I've, I've had these conversa- conversations with my father many times. Uh, about the ways in which black folk have learned to love this country in spite of, not because of. We, we've learned to love this country in spite of, not because of. And I'm always, my father included, um, just um, fascinated by those who are black, given the way the country has maltreated us, who agree to serve and put themselves on the line, even to die for this country. Because we are the ones that always show up, right? We are the ones that continue to push America towards manifesting those ideals that are professed in the Constitution. Uh, you know, I, I love this country, and I recognize that it's not perfect. And when I criticize and try to make change, it is out of love, because every person in this country should be accepted and respected for their inherent worth and dignity. And who better to understand the importance of that than black people in this country? We've built this country, we've bled for this country, and we continue to show up and do the work for this country. And that is part of the motivation for me to step into this new arena, to take that sort of work ethic to Congress, to continue making this country uh, a better place. Dr. Brian Williams, now running for Congress out of Dallas, Texas. His book is called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. It's a fascinating journey he has been on. And remains on, and we'll see in the coming days whether or not he uh, makes this next move uh, to Washington. Dr. Williams, good to have you on. Thanks for your work and witness, sir. All the best to you. Thank you very much for having me, Tavis. Appreciate my, it. My great delight. Thank you, sir.